This show is part of the Out of This World Entertainment on the Sci-Fi Podcast Network, tsfpn.com. Requiem of the Outcast 24 for October 2005. In this month's episode, we'll give you the definition of a geek, the difference between a geek and a nerd, the internet as a creative medium, are they a geek, geek dynasties, a lot of Firefly, and Scientology the CCG. Very soon, you too will be an outcast. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We know you're out there. Rejects from society. Artists. Writers. Poets. Filmmakers. Get off the couch. Make something. The world is waiting to hear your voice. And so are we. We are the Requiem of the Outcast. Are you an outcast? Welcome to Requiem of the Outcast version 3.0. Now, oh my god. I know, we've had so many damn evolutions with the show that we are actually categorizing them via numbers. <laughs> it's necessary. We're like Microsoft. We kind of are. This is this is the beta, really. Um, we haven't we haven't got the format down quite white right yet. So there'll be a service pack for Roto coming out next month. More than likely, once hackers. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that. There have been plenty of sites that have been hacked lately, so <laughs> don't want to give anybody ideas. Um, yeah, seriously. So w- welcome, folks. Uh, a lot of a lot of you are new listeners, so you may not be all that certain about how we do things, how we sound, the way we do it. So we're going to give some introductions to ourselves here, so you can kind of get to know us. Um, I myself, my name is Rich Siegfried, created Requiem of the Outcast approximately two years ago. Um, we've gone through some co-hosts, and we are now on to our latest one, Mr. Earl Newton. Now, my history in audio is that uh, I was listening to Digital Llama and Chrono Radio, and I threw Nathan over at Chrono Radio a audio file that basically said, hey, you know, you keep me awake at work, I appreciate all the work that you do, and I realized... After especially after listening to Chrono Radio, <laughs> this isn't that hard. I <laughs> there we go. So started a show that uh, basically talked about Star Wars fan audio, since there really wasn't a voice for the audio side of uh, fandom. There was the fan films with uh, Digital Llama, and of course Nathan handled a lot of the literary needs. At that time, uh, Star Wars on Direct was only a French show; they weren't to their English. Yet. And of course, now that there's 47 different Star Wars. Uh, review shows, we've decided to go ahead and take Recommend the Outcast to a little bit different avenue. Now, we will be covering the Star Wars fan audio uh, from time to time and some of the releases from Star Wars Fanworks. However, we're going to be moving into more of a direction of independent media. That is stuff that you find online. Now, we're not necessarily a social bookmarking type show. If you want that, Dignation is probably the best one out there. Not to mention the uh, 50 shows that come out of Leo uh, Laporte from Screensavers, and of course, Call for Help now on G4 TV, which we'll get to later. But let's let's socially bookmark that topic for a few moments in the future. <laughs> which, yes, yes, I think that we should. Uh, <laughs> but we'll be covering all different sorts of, like I said, independent media, things that we we find online, things that we uh, see at conventions and whatnot, everything from movies 
audio dramas, which are becoming very popular now, of course, via podcasting and whatnot, as well as uh, some authors, uh, basically people that kind of get their, get their start and deliver online. And now I would like to toss it to my friend, confidant, life mate, completely heterosexually, of course, Mr. Earl Newt. See, this is why you should definitely have to clear my intro with me before you start the show, Rich, because I didn't know you were going to do it like that. Okay! <laughs> uh, I'm Earl Newton. I am the co-host of Requiem the Outcast. Uh, up until about two months ago, I was just a big fan of Requiem. I, I was introduced to the show because I am a filmmaker in my other life, and in my other life I was a writer, and in my other life I'm a radio producer. So I was kind of all these things, and Rich was doing this fantastic show, and I enjoyed it so much because there's so few places on the Internet that are actually humble enough to review other people's material without being critical and to give people an outlet without trying to promote themselves. And I was just fascinated with the show, and I enjoyed the chemistry of the on-air players so much that I definitely wanted to uh, follow it, which is odd for me because I don't watch any kind of TV or anything like that, and next thing I know, Rich is calling me one day and says, come on to the show, you should uh, you should help out with uh, with various things. Obviously, I have an independent media background, I've done a lot of stuff, I've taken films on tour and all kinds of things like that, so uh, I was definitely eager to do it, and we're going to be doing a lot of that kind of stuff here on the show. You guys are going to get to see a lot of what's coming, what's new, what you can be looking for in the future, so that's definitely, uh, I'm eager to get to that. So that's my background. I made stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I made stuff. That should be the well. If we actually did something around here, I think that would be the uh, that'd be the, the the motto, the theme, the crux of the show, if you will. We so we're, it's more like we're the outcast. We talk about making stuff. <laughs> we talk about stuff other people made. That's right. All right, folks. We're going to be coming back with. Hold that moment. <laughs> Let me. I'm going to pause this for a second. All right. Okay. Okay, guys, real quick, I know you guys didn't see any actual cut in the timeline there, it just seemed like everything flowed naturally, but I have to tell you, we had to pause the recording for just one moment, specifically because Rich just got a call on his phone, and it was funny, I, me listening to him, because he, as he's talking, he's, he's trying to get the person to hang up, he's like, no, no, I'm, no, this isn't, this isn't really, look, I'm recording an award-winning show, I need to call you back. So it's like I just I just noticed how we went upper and upper and upper echelons as long as guy, if that guy would have stayed on the phone we would have won an Emmy. You know I'll use the show as a crutch if necessary. <laughs> Rec Room of the Outcast, great for awesome. using to get rid of telemarketers. That's right. Use it at your discretion, <laughs> not for evil. Some side effects may occur. That's right. Floating <laughs> of egos. No, I do not have an ego. That that is not me. Well, one of the things that we're going to be moving to are themed shows as we can do them. So this month's theme is geeks. You may have caught that from the opening segment. Our theme this month are geeks. See, now, if you're going to talk about geeks, the first thing you have to think about is how do you define one? Just like any good essay or any good anything that's more interesting than an essay, you have to think about what makes a geek a geek. What, why, is, why is a geek a geek rather than a nerd or a geek rather than a regular person? And that's kind of what we, how we want to touch on it first. So, Rich, really, if you're thinking about geeks... What what are the things that come to your mind and you go okay well that that those are the characteristics. Well, there there is the stereotype of pocket protector, glasses with the tape in the middle. Um, somebody sits around playing Dungeons and Dragons all day or video games. Um, not too popular. Uh, not good with the ladies. Probably kind of goofy looking. 
Of course, we know that doesn't apply to us. Anyway, so... But yeah, those, those are definitely stereotypical things. Now, you, you think of a geek... Now, the thing I've always thought that definitely separated geeks from nerds is geeks seeming to be more in tune with sub-pop culture. So you have your Star Wars geeks, you have your Star Trek geeks, you have your uh, Dungeons and Dragons geeks. Nerds being more kinds of people who are more intellectual and just socially, uh, I want to say socially retarded, basically. They don't, they don't quite uh, match with people. Geeks, on the other hand, have a very thriving community, uh, as you can see in the comic book conventions and sci-fi conventions and things like that. So I guess my, my, uh, if I were going to define it, I would say the difference between a nerd and a geek and a regular person is a regular person has an everyday commu- uh, network of friends who they interact with on a daily basis. A, a geek has a network of friends that they're trying to interact with and their friends are trying to interact with them on their own level. And then nerds are just sort of contemplating mass murder. Wow, yeah, I, I pretty much agree with that. I think that's a, that's a really good definition there. Where you can really see that there there is a a separation. <laughs> you just hope there's no nerds listening. Hey, they are a demographic. That's right. <laughs> there's a lot of uh, like I said separation between those two, but the media or the the rest of the world doesn't exactly agree. I know that they like to group a lot of people into different categories because if you can mm-hmm. profile or compartmentalize them, they seem less of a threat. Not that you know geeks are really all that threatening. Yeah, I mean, I, from what I understand, I think we just labeled uh, nerds as mass murderers, so those are the ones I'd really be worried about. Exactly. At this I stage think, of the game. I, I think for the safety of, of society, they like to uh, go ahead and figure out who is who and kind of label them and kind of uh, shunt them off. Now, right. of course, you just defined what you feel as a geek, and I think you did a really good job. However, we have uh, an audio essay from Will Kitchenmaster, Mm -hmm. and it's entitled Are We Cool Yet? Now, this was recorded a while ago, uh, before Episode 3 came out, so some of the references might be a touch dated, but uh, I think that you'll see that there are other ways of looking at it, and really the main question which is brought up if being a geek is cool nowadays, thanks to the various movies, TV shows out there, video games and whatnot, why aren't the geeks cool? Are we cool yet? I'll confess it right off the bat. I'm only 17. As compared to most of you, I'm just a kid who knows nothing of comics glory days. No doubt I'm some punk who's riding the movie craze and being a geek because it's become cool. Being a geek is cool now, right? With comic movies dominating the box office, signs would point to yes. There has never been a better time to be a Star Wars fan. The final movie comes out in under a month, and it's all a lot of people are talking about. But when I start talking about the next Troy Denning trilogy that comes out this summer, Dark Nest, their eyes glaze over. And don't get me started when I try to tell them that the best Clone Wars stories are found in Republic. I was in Borders a little while ago and saw one of those fashion magazines girls were always reading. On the cover it said, Geek Chic. I got confused. The man that corresponded with said cover verb was no geek. Glasses and white button shirt do not make you a geek. All that means is that you have poor eyesight and an affinity for white buttons. When I wear my Grunel shirt with a pair of nice black slacks and a white button shirt over it left open, that's Geek Chic. Being 17, I'm still in high school. 
Do you know how many other comic book readers I know in my school? One. The kid that got me back into comics in 7th grade. And in 11th grade, I got him back into comics. We owe each other our lives. That said, the freaky goth kids read a lot of manga. But they're also freaky goth kids, so no one talks to them. Coincidentally, manga came up as spelt wrong in the spell check. But I should be popular, right? I'm one of the biggest geeks in school. I should be like Joe Cool. Out of the top 100 highest grossing movies of all time, seven are comic book movies, including both Men in Blacks. Oddly enough, Empire Strikes Back is the Star Wars movie furthest down the list. 20-something. If that doesn't arrange most of the Star Wars fans, I've got two words for you. Boba Fett. He's my favorite. Skywalker comes up in the spell check just fine. Very happy to hear R.A. Salvatore's Homeland novel is being published as a comic by Devil's Due. I've always thought that they'd make a good transition to the medium, and Drist is an amazing character. Just really dynamic, very, very fun visually. Dual scimitars all the way. Oddly enough, out of the Amazon.com top 100 books, six books are sci-fi or fantasy, the bread and butter of geek reading. And the top of that list is Harry Potter. Harry Potter should, in theory, be training a bunch of little kids into becoming geeks, because Harry Potter is cool. And we are, too. We are cool, right? My favorite comic book movies have been, so far, the ones with the most mature rating. I'd watch The Punisher before I'd watch Spider-Man. I'm not sure why. I think they tend to stay the closest to the source material. Just look at Sin City. That practically was the source material. I bet you're thinking, what does this kid know? So far he's just rambling. Is he even making a point? I bet his favorite comic is X-Force Shatterstar. Right now my favorite comics are in no particular order, Astonishing X-Men, Adventures of Superman, Green Lantern, Rebirth, Iron Man, Ultimate Fantastic Four, and Books of Magic Life during wartime. Not to say that I don't read others, those are just my current favorites. Big events seem to be getting some media coverage. Isn't Entertainment Weekly talking about comics or comic movies every other week now? House of M vs. Infinite Crisis. Couldn't care less as long as they give me a nice story. They are kind of silly titles though, wouldn't you say? I'd not want to try to convince my friends that House of M was the best thing I'd ever read, even if it was. I'm just really sick of the word crisis. Crisis on this, crisis with that, oh dear, Ma Kenneth stubbed a toe, it's a crisis! It issue miniseries about her toe. I guarantee if it's written by Joss Whedon, drawn by Jim Lee, and has crisis on the cover, it's a bestseller. For that matter, what's with the four miniseries counting down to the crisis on the covers? Didn't we just have the countdown to infinite crisis? Or did countdown to the countdown to infinite crisis not have as much zing as a title? I almost wanted John to bring back Hal Jordan as a teen, just so he could be in Teen Titans. I'm not sure why. Maybe erase his memory and start him over again at 17? Wouldn't that be a mind-blower? I just like the idea of a Teen Green Lantern, supposedly the best GL, being mentored by Kyle. But then again, I like Kyle. He's my favorite. I own both sets of Batman the Animated Series on DVD, but whenever friends come over, they'd rather watch my Reno 911 set and my Family Guy stuff. Batman was just as cool as the show. I know they watched it when they were kids, and if this geek stuff is in, then what gives? Do I dream of growing up and becoming a comic book writer? Of course. What character would I tackle? What's my dream gig? A saga of a time-traveling serial killer. That would be crazy. If not that, though, then I'd love a shot at a Flash GL book. I just like Wally and Kyle's dynamic. Could I get away with saying I like the Flash GL interaction at a party, though? Would it make a girl like me more? It should. We're cool. Right? 
my dad came into my room and asked what I was doing, and I told him I was writing an article I was planning to submit to my favorite comic website. He asked me if it was one of those internet things. I told him, yeah. He wished me good luck and then muttered something about how I need to get a job. So is being a geek cool? No. It never was. You can be cool and be a geek, but being a geek isn't cool. Popular kids aren't going to run to the comic shop just to maintain their image. Is the idea of being a geek cool? Yeah, I think it is. Geeks have great memories, unlimited creativity, and a wonderful sense of what's right and wrong. I'm proud to wear the label, and I'm pretty cool too. But would I train my comics to date the hottest girl in school? No. I'd feel like I was cheating on Emma Frost. She's my favorite. You've just heard how Will feels about being a geek. How do you feel? Feel free to email me at rich at requimoftheoutcast.com or earl at requimoftheoutcast.com. And also, don't forget, you can post it in our forums at requimoftheoutcast.com or galacticsenate.com. Or you could call our number, requimoftheoutcast.com. No, that's not the number. No, actually, our number is 206-333-1138. And everyone who gets that reference gets a cookie. And now it's time for... It came from the interweb. Now, this is going to be a segment that comes every month with some little file, some little bit that we found online that we think that you'd really dig. This month, since this is the first month, we really want to give kind of an example uh, of how the internet is being used by geeks or even you know straight even straight media people to kind of distribute their content to the world to segments of people that may not have had access before. Now, Earl, you of course are a filmmaker. You released Fall of a Saga online first, correct, and then toured. I did, and then then did the convention circuit. Yeah, actually, I've made a couple of different movies, but I uh, used a lot of distribution through the Internet, and here's why. The Internet is, obviously, everybody knows this by now. If you're listening to this podcast, you know the Internet is the best form of distribution available now, simply because it's cheap, it's easy, and everybody has access to it. I mean, this is, this is the Internet is the new town square. I've, of course, you have your big companies like iFilm and Atom Films and uh, Podcast Alley for all the major distribution outlets. But the great thing about the Internet is it is content-oriented. I mean, if you think about it, Rich, think about most of the movies that have come out in the last couple of years. You didn't hear about them through word of mouth except for maybe Serenity or uh, a few of those, like Star Wars, you might have heard through word of mouth just because everyone's waiting for it for so long. You notice the ones you hear through word of mouth are usually geek-oriented movies. Well, you know, one of the, the biggest examples of that would be the and, and use of the Internet would be Blair Witch. I know, um, sure, granted, exactly. I, I heard word of mouth, uh, I heard about the movie from a friend of mine, but he originally heard about it and the mystery of it, and he actually believed that that was actual footage of people actually dying uh, from the, the Internet. And see, but that is, and that and that's the great thing about it is that the only people that rule on the internet are those that truly demand attention. Mm-hmm. You, it, there is no, you can't buy your way into that kind of publicity. You can put ads on the internet all over the place, but if people don't like it, they're not going to go. Exactly. Of course, I, I imagine there's a downside to the internet of you know, movies being leaked online, piracy, sure. that that sort of thing. But what's a little internet piracy between friends? I mean, really, it just the <laughs> the the, the 
I, see, but I, I think the people that are really doing that, the, the people who, who are going to be the biggest exploiters of that kind of leak, are people who, if they like the movie, they're going to buy it anyway. I mean, I have the bootleg copy of Firefly, and I'm going to go buy the DVD because it's an awesome series. Right, I, that's where I first saw it, is that I, da- I downloaded, uh, you know, found a torrent of, of the Firefly TV show, downloaded it, and then at first chance I got, I bought the DVD. It's the same thing with Episode 3. Same and, thing but wait, with before we leave Firefly, I have to say, this is my theory, and I'm going to put it out right now. I think that Joss Whedon himself leaked the Firefly DVD onto the Internet, and I'll tell you why. Because if you look at what's available on the DVD, they have everything except deleted scenes and, behind, and director's commentary. And that is one of the things everyone wants to see. So he was smart, knowing people would look at the series, like it, and then want to be able to pick up the DVD to get the rest of those features. If you're a hacker, you don't leave those things out. You don't go, oh, well, I won't put that in the torrent. You, you include everything. I am almost for certain that he leaked it. Just to get that word of mouth through. I mean, you, Rich, have talked about it a lot. Just the idea of uh, of what he did and what other people have done to create this underground campaign. You're right, and as a matter of fact, uh, other news of Serenity, the movie based on off the TV show Firefly, really spread thanks to first off the session 416 videos that were released that Joss and mm-hmm. and one of the stars, Summer Glau, created. That was in universe. It was basically the, the if you're familiar with the storyline, it's footage of some of the alliance tests and interviews and such that they did with Summer Glau uh, before she went a little nutty, and actually after she went a little nutty. Also, uh, just before Serenity was released, there were I'd say about a week, or actually I'm sorry, no, it was only a few days before Serenity was actually released in theaters. Joss invited about. 100 to 200 bloggers <laughs> in in probably 20 to 30 cities, maybe even more, to catch an advanced media screening specifically so that they could blog, tell about it, preach to the internet, uh, preach to the fans, the you know the greatness of the movie. Unfortunately, for the first time in a long time, there was a movie that was worth all of the good comments about it. So, to wrap it up, the internet as a distribution mechanism, obviously, I mean, it's, it's doing fantastically well. The problem we have to look forward to in the future is uh, commercial and government entities trying to come in to restrict that. And I don't want to sound like some kind of uh, conspiracy theorist, but you have to understand, the internet is really the first truly free place that we have had in society since the dawn of time. Nowhere has it truly been free, not just in the sense of finances, but in the sense of rights, in the sense of what you can do. And I feel like if we allow that to go by the wayside, we're going to lose something original and precious that we've never even gotten to fully uh, de- uh, explore the depths of where this could go in porn. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. I just had to throw that in because I know somebody's going to be sitting there going, hey, it's only good for pornography. That's true. <laughs> exactly. Pornography is not free. Well, you got to know the right sites. Actually, there, <laughs> ma- matter of fact, not that I visit the site, but I am a fan of Boing Boing, which is .net, which is a, a social bookmarking uh, website, uh, also with news. But apparently there's a large scandal going on o- over at the suicidegirls.com, which is a pornography site, uh, it's, you know, goth chicks, uh, uh, you know, tattooed, pierced kind of people that are 
uh, you know, that that pose and, and sexy stuff, whatever. Well, the thing is, is that the webmistress took down quite a few pictures. The webmistress, that yes. is so hot. They, I'm sorry. Isn't it, isn't it <laughs> but they, uh, they were, they took down a lot of pictures that they said were possibly obscene and all this stuff because they heard that the FBI was going to be investigating them. Well, as it turns out, the FBI was in fact not going to be investigating them or anybody. It was kind of a way to make seemingly stockbrokers look at their website a little differently than they would have had these extremely obscene, very bad things been shown. Now, this is a pornography site. They make no, you know, they do a lot of charity go, work go and whatnot. Go ahead, say it, Rich. Rich, say it. Say it. Say they make no bones about it. Say they, it, Rich. They make no bones about it. Pardon the... <laughs> I don't think that's true. Pardon the anti-pun. Um, <laughs> you bastard. Um, the <laughs> good grief. But they, you know, they are flat out, they say, hey, this is what we do, and yet here they are basically kowtowing to possible governments, uh, like not necessarily censorship, but just government intrusion. Mm. But we can also look at Japan or China. One of those countries over in the the far east that actually releg re relegate regulate the internet to where you can't visit some websites. We also know that yes, the internet may be free. However, some content is not available to members outside of the country. Some people can't buy on certain websites. Currently speaking, you know, we were speaking about Firefly earlier, but the Firefly television soundtrack you cannot purchase from Fox Music. If you are outside of the United States, maybe Canada, maybe Mexico, but anything outside of the, the hemisphere that we're in, you just can't buy it. And there are other uh, video sites. I know, you know, hey, I'm a wrestling fan. I go to WWE.com. A lot of their video is not accessible outside of the United States. So you, it is free to a certain extent, and I completely agree with you. There are a lot of rights and stuff that go with that. But we also have to remember, guess what? These things exist on a server somewhere and I don't know if you know the laws of the viewer are the ones or the, the, the area laws of the viewer are the ones that take precedence or possibly the uh, laws of where the server sits is the uh, governing entity Body, yeah. uh, but so uh, you know a lot of us are saying that the internet is free I know God knows when Napster was around that was a big credence that when they died that no longer was the internet free but I think right now that the internet is free for creators maybe not for the the viewer maybe not for well let's say it's, it's, it's free for it's free to obtain just about anything you want so long as the as the okay it's it's a give and take relationship where free exchange is permitted but if the giver in this sense the creator from Hollywood or Nashville or whatever or MTV whatever if the giver does not want to give freely i think it's fair to say okay well the 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 audience should not be able to take freely it has to be a because otherwise that's like a rape or a, or a, or a theft because i don't want to give you this why are you taking it from me mm. you know what i mean like i i mean look i've i've downloaded my fair share of mp3s there's no question of that oh, sure. but i can't find but i do that because you know i, I i'm willing to to live with self-loathing because i can't <laughs> I'm willing to hate myself for the that's new right Metallica i can't song. justify 
in a legal or in a moral sense, why it's, okay, look, the Internet should be free. You should be able to say whatever you want. You should be able to do whatever you want on the Internet because the consequences are all information. Nothing happens for real. So when there's information involved, it's I am, I would, all you can do is supply information. And what people choose to do with that information, that's on their end. So it's a great place to exchange a truly free set of ideas. I mean, this is what the Greeks had been theorizing about for thousands of years before any of us were even thought of. And now it's taken this long for that kind of society to truly evolve. Yeah. You know? so, so, and if you think about it, over the thousands of years, the Greeks wanted this. The Greeks wanted it for a very long time. It took basically about 2,000 or 3,000 years just to drop the R because the Greeks became geeks, and that's who runs the Internet. <laughs> And on that note, <laughs> all right. You know, intellectually, I don't think I can add to that. I think <laughs> I, I think that 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 was that was a form of beauty, Earl. That 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 was. See, ladies and gentlemen, thanks to the freeness of the internet, That's right. art like that is able to be distributed. <laughs> And you know, I wrapped that one up with a bow, didn't I? I think right now we're going to go ahead and play some commercials and trailers for some folks that have also distributed things online. We're going we're gonna to take a moment to breathe. And, <laughs> and I hope you... <laughs> oh, just enjoy these. Oh, my. Next week, how the Egyptians became Schmidgyptians. <laughs> It's social order at its best here on Record the Outcast. Good grief. You are listening to Requiem of the Outcast. For more information and show notes, visit requiemoftheoutcast.com. Now available for the first time on DVD, America's favorite comedy duo is back with all the fun. Yay, Kooloroo! All the action. And all the romance. Miss Dawson, you are a pedophile! It's Andy and Scott's Super TV Super Show. Volume 1, the first 10 episodes of all their Channel 101 hits, including the all-new, never-before-seen Vice Ghost. <laughs> That's one of my bits! But wait, there's more. Loaded with all new bonus features, including a deleted Harbor Team theme too hot for a five-minute show. This isn't for teens. Carlton isn't for teens. It's Andy and Scott's Super TV Super Show. Pick up your DVD today on the internet at andyandscott.com. All rights and restrictions apply. Offer valid only in contiguous United States. Void where prohibited. StarWarsFanWorks.com presents Star Wars and Beyond. Warning! Star Wars and Beyond can contain spoilers, serious issues, discussions of a frank manner, guaranteed to be politically incorrect, psychological nudity. Hey man, if it works for Michael Savage, it works for me. Star Wars and Beyond, Episode 8. Hosted by Robbie Chastain, premiering in November 2005. Scheduled for the episode, 
an interview with Amy Farrell from Second Strike and the Anthology Series, our roving reporter Rich Siegfried with this month's segment, and the comic review series will continue with part two of our look at Star Wars Tales number 10, featuring the story titled Nameless, which was the Darth Maul story. Look for the show in November on StarWarsAndBeyond.com. StarWarsFanWorks.com, the home of Star Wars fan audio on the internet. It's your home for Star Wars fan audio genre news, a comprehensive catalog of fan-made Star Wars radio shows, parody tales, and serious audio dramas. With behind-the-scenes features, a message board, reviews, tutorials, convention coverage, an internet movie database-style directory of the entire Star Wars fan audio community, and the only fan audio community-recognized Star Wars Fan Audio Academy Awards held each year. StarWarsFanWorks.com. Fandom has a whole new sound. Did you like those commercials? If you'd like to have your project promoted on Roto, contact us at ReckonTheOutcast.com, and I'll return you to your regularly scheduled show already in progress. In television, we have Battlestar Galactica, which at first I didn't like, but now I'm really into. We've also got Stargate SG-1 and Stargate Atlantis, with shows like the, all of the various Star Treks in syndication, plus Andromeda. You can kind of see that uh, Geekdom is not really in television that much. However, we can see the hintings of Geekdom via Smallville, which I really wouldn't say is all that geek-oriented. It's not really all that comic-oriented either. It's mainly just a, a a teen drama set. It's it's Beverly Hills 90210 in Smallville. It, it's like wearing geek clothing, basically. Exactly. It's, it's a drama wearing geek... I would call it a geek vestite. They're, they're, they're taking geek off the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> and dusting it off. But uh, geek vestite's pretty good, too. Um, there you go. But we're also seeing a lot of supernatural themed TV shows coming out. And typically anything supernatural has been a big geek uh, has been in the, the realm of geek. Mm-hmm. Everything and from Dungeons and like Dragons fantasy. Well. Horror, well, you know, cuz you have your horror geeks, you really do. They just they're just there's such a subculture of the group that you don't see them very often, but I think you definitely have your you guys that just are all about slasher movies, they're all about Wes Craven, they're all well, about I, the old gritty kind of almost snuff film, but not quite, you know what I mean? Just like <laughs> that kind of gritty sort of horror film that people make in their basements. I mean, they have their own culture. That is true, and I think just about anything, I think that's something that we probably should have added to the definition earlier, is that basically anything that has a following, you can be a geek of. I mean, there are music geeks. Sure. There are cooking geeks. geeks. Sports geeks. Or what? There are sports geeks. Sports geeks, absolutely. You know, I know I get teased at work occasionally, but because I'll dress up in a costume and go to a convention. Uh, what about people that walk around, or, or, you know, I'll be wearing a Star Wars shirt or something like that, but what about people that walk around wearing sports jerseys? They're dressing as their favorite characters from sports. That because, is deep. Because, hey, let's face it, I mean, they're not sports people. They're not in the sport of, you know, football, baseball, whatever. If you're walking around wearing a ball cap because you like the team, well, guess what? It kind of makes you a geek because you're wow. showing your affiliation to this organization, whatever it might may be, you're showing your affiliation to them by wearing something that belongs to that organization, that franchise. Whatever. I love, especially how you just said you're in character, and we. I think the audience needs a moment to like pause because I think their minds were just totally blown. 
because of all the if you think about all the times you've ever gotten junk from people, especially sports fans, for you know, I mean, look, I've never dressed up as anything myself, but I was always like, oh, you know, whatever. But sports fans who are so in the mainstream that it totally makes sense. They're they're dress they're dressing as their favorite character. Mm-hmm. That's unbelievable. I my mind has just been blown. <laughs> I work in the I work in sports broadcasting, so I'm just sitting there going, "Oh my god, you guys are all geeks." Well, I mean, you know, you see people that'll go around wearing a band shirt. They're a band geek, uh, you know, or a music geek. I guess a band geek is more somebody who's in marching band. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> They're a special kind of geek. They don't get pocket protectors so much or, as they know, get they, daily they medicines. Get, uh, you know, they, they'll walk around with <laughs> What's the difference between that and wearing a a badge that says uh, Gandalf for president, or uh, you know, that's their flair, that is their piece of flair. But and of course, we're we're not by any means making fun of those people because hey, that's us. That that is no, who no, we are. No. It's just I think that there are a lot of people that don't realize that they're geeks or they think that they're above geekdom. But anyway, more I think we'll get to more on that later on. Um, <clears throat> mm-hmm. We've pretty much covered a lot of the stuff that's in television. That's geek-oriented, but movies is really where it's at, like, everything from exact rife. rife. Geekdom. I would, you know, at first I was going to say completely packed, but rife, I think, is really the best best term for that. I think that we've That's got right. uh, we've got everything from comic book <laughs> movies, we've got fantasy movies, we've got sci-fi movies coming out. Of course, you know, it's, it's everywhere. You just cannot escape these things that are, have been traditionally geek-oriented, and guess what? People think they're cool because they might know, you know, who Aragorn was. But guess what? Before those movies came out, before Peter Jackson came onto the scene, you could walk around and say the name Aragorn and nobody would know what the hell you were talking about. Nowadays, everybody's like, oh, yeah, Lord of the Rings. I know what you're talking about. And see, now that's almost interesting because what you're describing, I felt, was like really, I don't want to stretch the metaphor too far, but almost like a geek war that came on, especially when you have things. Anytime a big... Uh, a big media masterpiece. You take Lord of the Rings as a as a literary masterpiece, or you take uh, Spider Man as a comic book masterpiece. Anytime they make that transition into another medium, you're always <laughs> going to have a clashing of the geeks because you're going to have the the original diehard followers who love it mm-hmm. in its original form, kind of taking a look at it in the new form, and going, "Do I like this? Do I not like this?" Then you have the 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 new geeks that come into it from the movies. Which is where you get the clashing between like the old Spider-Man and the Ultimate Spider-Man comics now, because they're just constantly trying to bridge those two groups together. But I mean, you, you, I mean, obviously, you, you and I have both heard when Lord of the Rings came out, there was a, there was a contingent of people that thought this was totally wrong, this wasn't exactly. And I'm, I'm curious to see if there's going to be any kind of an influx of that with Chronicles of Narnia coming out. Yes, good lord, and that that's almost exactly. like religious. Geeks. As a matter of fact, buddy of mine. Uh, Greg Scott, who pastors a church out in Gallipolis, Ohio, he uh, uses a lot of media in his sermons, and they're going to be doing, uh, you know, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Chronicles of Narnia-themed services. Now, he's being very smart about it because wow. they rented out the movie theater where they meet because they, they don't have their own building yet, so they meet in the movie theater, which is really uh-huh. cool. They're renting out the theater. <laughs> And for everybody who shows up, they're getting a free copy of the books and whatnot to go along with the, the sermons that they're going to oh, be preaching. Oh, wonderful. So, you know, we can see that a lot of these you know, geek-oriented things can be used for numerous purposes, not just 
for the geeks, yeah. but for everybody else. And I think that with the the advent of so much geek stuff being out in the open, I think that there are a lot of people that are coming into geekdom, but then, as we said, staunch supporters of the uh the, the purists, I guess, the geek purists that view that if you change it at all, you're corrupting it, or it's just not going to be good enough. Yeah. I have two things to add to that. First of all, um, I think uh, you and I both know that there is sort of a media backlash, or rather a backlash in regards to the media, when it comes to really learn. I mean, because what you're describing is, you're, you, especially with the church uh, scenario, you're describing teaching mm-hmm. via media via movies, via audio, via whatever. And I think there's a lot of people who say, oh, that's wrong, it's unnatural, people are, so, people are so pop culture now, the only thing they know about is if you learn it in a movie. Well, if you look at how our history was up until about the 18 or 1700s, we learned things mostly through storytelling and through stories passed down generation to generation. That's what the Bible was. I mean, not the story necessarily, but, but passed down, it was, it was a verbal... Uh, story, I guess you could say, in the sense that it's, it's, it's describing the actions of many people, passed down from generation to generation. That's how our histories have been told, and the parts that stay Absolutely. are the parts that people remember. Not necessarily in the Bible, but in, the, in, that, in that sort of oral history. So when we go into a new medium, have it be movies, people are going to learn better because it's a story, and they're, you're, you, people, we're just so used to being taught through story. It's hard to break that now. You can't just read a textbook and go, okay, now I know everything. And the second thing I wanted to say was I just had a vision of <laughs> of them doing this Chronicle mm-hmm. of Narnia-themed sermons, except when he went to go to the store to get the lion costume, they were out, so he has to wear the Tin Man <laughs> costume instead. Yep. And just have the explanation he'd have to make at the door all the time, there wasn't a Tin Man in Narnia. <laughs> well, no, but... Actually, no, well, it's, it's, anyway, it's funny you I'm mentioned sorry. that because <laughs> he was just telling me about that they're going to be doing a Looney Tunes-themed series coming up real soon, and uh, they they bought costumes. Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> they got these full-size mascot, you know, you go to uh, you go to Six Flags or, 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 uh, or, or Disneyland yeah. and you see people in these costumes. Yeah, they got some of those to help with. Uh, to, to help with with the sermon, but of course Greg Scott. I mean, he's a he's a hell of a guy. He's he's the one that taught me how to edit video. And I've uh, between his teaching, your teaching, and also Sean O'Rourke, uh, that's where I learned all of my directing style. But anyway, I don't want to know what you learned from Sean O'Rourke because I know what he does for a living. A lot so. of cursing. Um, well, not that. I was hentai? thinking more along the lines of um, all his voiceover work. No, no, no. <laughs> Haven't learned anything uh, from the hentai yet. But the, no, just his direct uh, direction style. Right. But much as much as we've just said, we, we've spoken a lot about how geeks have kind of influenced culture. Everything from you know we can say what's cool for a little while. We can even like Will said that you've got all these people that are saying all this geek stuff is cool. Then why aren't the the original geeks cool now? You mm. know. But no, you've got a lot of people that are just playing geek. You've got a lot of people that don't maybe understand uh, old geek culture, even though it has permeated our existence. I mean, how many times has somebody said, you know, use the force, when, you know, sarcastically when somebody's trying to do something? 
or you know Star Wars being one of the the big ones for that or you know beam me up Scotty when they're in a situation that's uncomfortable I mean you know we've seen it in movies movies have been one of the biggest forms of cultural influence on how we go about our day-to-day lives everything from quoting the movies mm-hmm. to you know what would a certain character do in a situation for some people that's how they're able to cope with uh, circumstances that may come up and so in in a way I think that you know, geeks have created movies, and a lot of these movies, whether it's a drama or an action, a sci-fi, a western, whatever, have really influenced our day-to-day culture. You know, we use the term pop culture a lot, but we don't realize that pop culture is kind of the the goofy, the stuff that everybody likes, as opposed to what the actual culture was. Because if we look back to the Greeks, we don't really think that everybody was... Um, standing around philosophizing all the time. No, there were people that had regular jobs, you know, but that's not what we think of when we think of the culture of what's going on. Well, I think that brings us fantastically into the next point, which is basically you're talking about, you know, uh, culture created by geeks that's later accepted. Let's look at some of the the things that we have nowadays of the, the, let's say, the figureheads of geekdom. And in, in a segment I like to call Some Are Born Geeks, some achieve geekness. Some have geekness thrust upon them. Some can't help it. One of the thing, uh, the misnomers I feel is that a lot of times we look at geek culture and we go, it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a deep sense of community, obviously, in the geek culture. I mean, if you go to a comic book convention and you find somebody else that likes the same thing you do, that's it. You're blood brothers the rest of the weekend. <laughs> you know? I mean, there's, there's a deep sense of community there. I feel like, and I feel like sometimes it's, it is... Uh, properly and sometimes improperly attached to the figureheads of this sort of thing. Uh, like, for example, okay, let's look at uh, George Lucas, okay? Possibly the father of modern, modern geekdom. Just, if you look at what's been, I feel like we're talking about Jesus. If you look at what's <laughs> been done in his name, you know, there's, there's a lot of, of activity and a lot of, a lot of geek interest kind of surrounding this whole situation. But my question, and I would put this to you, Rich, mm-hmm. is, is George Lucas a geek? Do you think he's a geek? You know, I, we can look at what he's created. I absolutely think that he is a geek. Um, everything from the way he wrote the movies, where he literally tried to create his own universe, mm-hmm. um, I, I absolutely think that he is. Everything from the the fact that he, you know, the main vehicle that he used were spaceships, were lasers, were... Uh, you know that, that he created such such a, a cultural phenomenon uh, amongst geeks. You know, you almost have to be a geek to be able to create something like that to understand, because he was such a fan of the Flash Gordon serials uh, so long ago. Um, mm-hmm. he, he was a fan of these things, and I think from that his his geekdom, he was able to create this geek empire. See, now, I, I would agree with you to an extent, because I certainly think he's created it, but my point is, and I know you and I have talked about this before, um, if you look at George Lucas's history, he doesn't match a lot of the, a lot of the normal, well, I'll say this, George Lucas started out as a, uh, as a cruiser, you know, in the sense that he, he was just like in the 50s, you know, slick back hair, black leather jacket, riding down the street, sipping on gin and juice, mind on his money, money on his mind. He was that kind of guy, just cruising in the 50s. He really was doing that. He was an OG. Oh, yeah, totally. He was an OG for real. He was a GL. Hey, that's how he rolled. 
That's how he roll. <laughs> I could just hear George say that. Well, that's just how I roll. Um. Anyway. Uh, but, I mean, but if you look at it, he he was doing like this really cutting it, like like racing cars on on back streets. Like, he was doing stuff that nowadays you kind of like that's a little edgy for George Lucas. But he did that stuff, and then I I almost feel like he stumbled into this sort of geek culture by accident. Like there is obviously he did understand the method of propagation, which Joss Whedon understands as well. The idea of word of mouth and the idea of creating a buzz through a grassroots community. He was one of the first people to ever make t-shirts for a movie and go to comic book conventions about it. He was at San Diego Comic Con when it was just one little room and a projector and little tiny stuff, way back, way back. Yeah. And he, But he could see that that's what the community was doing, and he aimed right for it. Now, my question is, does that make him a geek, or does that make him... You know, a a I don't want to say a usurper, but certainly a a, a user of geek culture for his own ends. Like, would you is George Lucas sitting around, you know, watching Buffy on his <laughs> on his weekend? You know, does he have does he have like signatures of people that he likes? Or I mean, so what you're saying is that if just because you propagate or create a geek culture or subculture yeah. does not make you a geek. Right. It's almost like he's not one in his day-to-day life. It's just his day job. You know, like if somebody goes to work and they are a sewer treatment plant operator. That doesn't mean that they go home and waddle in poop all day long. You know what I mean? It's just That's just his day job. Hmm. It's just an idea. That, you know, maybe you're right. I mean, you know, we could say that, well, he was a car geek because of all the cruising and whatnot. Sure. But but I think that in the term of geek that we're we're using here today, I think he might be right. I think maybe maybe he just isn't. You know, maybe he just and really isn't a geek. And that's kind of a wake up for a lot of the community because I think a lot of people feel that he is, and they make jokes. I mean, I've seen people making jokes about how, uh, you know, how much more uh, sexually attractive Amidala was as compared to Princess Leia. That's because he's and they're a dirty like, oh, old maybe man. George Lucas, you know, geek boy, finally found out women have underwear or something. It's like, no, <laughs> he was a cruiser. He was dri- driving up and down the strip looking for girls. <laughs> this is not a man <laughs> that is not. I mean, he used to date. Uh, was it Linda Ronstadt? You know, this isn't a man that she was. You know, a big uh, uh, singer. This is not a man who has not you know been around women before. Yeah. But you, but, uh, but yeah. But you know, so if, if we look at the way he writes romance, though, he's a he's a big dork, though. We we, we can agree on that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now that's different. <laughs> dork being the absolute end, no social redeeming factor whatsoever. Yeah, we could say when it comes to the to the romance side, he is definitely a dork. <laughs> I right, see. But I would just love to take so many of those lines out of Episode One and just write a scene where George Lucas is trying to woo somebody. <laughs> And we see that that's just how he does it. <laughs> that he's really lucky. The problem is, is that he does. He never staged it so Anakin had like thousand dollar bills sticking out of his pockets. <laughs> because then that that's the that's the one factor that would make that situation work. <laughs> George is like, well, it always works in my life. Yeah, well, you forgot the thousand dollar bills in your pocket, George. That's true. That's true. You you. <laughs> Anakin needs a little bling before Amidala's really going to jump in. That's um, true. You know. 
<laughs> but but okay, so let's so let's move on to some others. Who are some people you'd want to you'd want to examine? Are they geeks? Or are they not geeks? Well, what about uh, Kevin Smith? Kevin Smith. What do you think? I mean, my my thought is yeah, used to be, but is no more. I mean, what do you think about that? Hmm. I think that with his success mm. that he's done well. Now, you know, we really can't say that, like you said, you know, uh, about George Lucas, that he's not really geek because I mean, let's let's look at some of the women that he's dated. Because, I mean, Kevin Smith, even before he was, you know, Kevin Smith, he had a hot wife with uh, Jen, Jennifer Schwalbach. I mean, mm -hmm. she's still really good looking, you know. Um, so I really can't say that that, that would be a, a tell as to whether or not he's a geek or not. Um, mm -hmm. He's written comic books, but again, we said with George Lucas that just because you create does not mean that you are. Um, obviously, he likes... Uh, obviously, Kevin Smith likes comic books. You know, we see the references in his movies. Um, we hear the Star Wars references. May, yeah, you know, I can't really think of any evidence now that he that he is a geek. Um, he's a geek about certain things, obviously, certain television shows, pop culture he really enjoys, but he doesn't really show a lot of the geek attributes nowadays. Um, I, I see your point on that. I think he, I, I, I agree basically because I, I feel like I mean if you look in the if you look at Clerks, okay, because Clerks is probably the most pure movie he's ever made, exactly. the most pure artistic film he's ever right. made, just because it was before the money got involved. Yes, he was making that just to express himself or you know to to try and cast his luck in this in the business. Either way, he hadn't been influenced by money yet. He wasn't totally thinking of well, what's mainstream America going to want to see? Right, and it's just rife with movie references and and things of that nature and all kinds of pop culture references and everybody thought oh that isn't that great pop culture references if that had come at another time in history that might not have applied at all and I think he I, I think at that time he was definitely a geek but I think he's learned to a perfect example when I went to Chicago con uh, last last August uh, the wizard con convention I was talking to a friend, and he said, you know, Kevin Smith used to just sit at his booth, and people would talk to him, and then they walk on. This was after he'd made some movies. But once the convention started to set up just a special place for him to sign stuff, all of a sudden he has enormous lines, and all of a sudden he's in great demand, because they kind of moved him to that pedestal. So I feel like he was a geek, because he'd go to conventions and just hang out, but now he's sort of, maybe he feels like he's been elevated above the geeks. I definitely get. I've seen him in person, and I definitely get a sense of maybe a little bit of. To me, it seems like he's just tired with the whole thing. Like I want to move on. I want to do something else. I, I agree with you because you know, in in a lot of interviews and stuff, he kind of seems like he's. I think one of the reasons why. Clerks has come out, or, or actually, you know what? One of the main reasons I think he made Jane Silent Bob was because of the payday. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't make a great movie, because, I mean, I love Jay and Silent Bob. It's an incredibly funny movie. The guy can deliver. But it mm -hmm. does kind of feel almost like he's following a formula, like, okay, insert pop culture reference here. Oh, I'm the guy That's that right. I'm the guy that effed a pie, you know? Um, That's right. You know, and the Star Wars, hey, kids, look, it's Mark Hamill, you know? Yeah, and, right. And, and, uh, and now Jay says Snoogans. Yeah, dirt random drug reference. That's right. And, you know, I mean, again, it's great stuff. It's really funny, but... Yeah, he kind of, I think he knows his place in Geekdom, and it's kind of a cut above. It's He has his roots in Geekdom, but let's face it, the leaves 
are the foliage is a little bit different shade of geekdom now. It's yeah. no longer, you know, the hey, I read comic books because I enjoy them. It's kind of, yeah, I write comic books and I'll read the occasional one, but you just you just don't see it see geek geek in them anymore, you know? You see a guy that like you said once was but has seemingly been elevated beyond yeah, and beyond a good word. Not, I, I said above, and that's probably not the best choice of words. But, and I mean, but if you look at it, really, I mean, if you if you want to take the stereotypical look of geeks, you know, likes comic books, likes movies, <laughs> socially uh, tenuous, that was that was Kevin Smith making Clerks. Yeah. Now Kevin Smith is millionaire, married to a gorgeous woman, has a family, well established in the industry socially connected you're not really seeing many of those signs anymore you're right it, it like you said before clerk seemed like it was it was almost done out of desperation you know where it was like okay i've got, it, it's done out of a passion yet also a modicum of desperation where i've got one shot at this so i'm going to pour my heart and my soul into it and i think this is what happens with a lot of sequels and stuff to movies where a person they put every they put themselves into it and that's why a lot of sequels suck, because afterwards the person has changed a little bit. They're, mm. they're just different. They don't have that desperation, because now they might have money, or they've got notoriety, or they've got respect. But when they're first putting it out, that's where they've just... It's literally their soul is in it. And I think with Kevin Smith, we can really tell that. Um, because his later movies, even the way they're, they're shot, they all feel kind of the same. And it's neat, because they all fit in the same universe whatnot but they're kind of all shot the same way and so it all i'm almost wondering if kevin smith has a little bit of self-loathing where he knows that he's no longer a geek that he's he's got himself a good okay think revenge the last revenge of the nerds movie mm-hmm. with lewis i'm sorry louis yeah where he had shunned his nerd uh nerd background he shunned his nerd roots and I think Kevin Smith may have done that a little bit. We can see that with he's got a gorgeous wife. He's got, you know, all this stuff, all the stuff that he always wanted. But now he's like, well, I can't forget my roots. I may not be in, in them anymore, but I can't forget them. And maybe that's why he seems to throw every kind of pop culture reference that he can in there. Because he feels like he has to. Because otherwise the geeks won't take him seriously anymore. Otherwise he'll be seen as selling out. So kind of like an audience-driven thing. Like if uh, kind of. the money may the money may not be there if if he doesn't play to his strength. That would that would have been interesting to see that Superman movie with lots of pop culture references. But that's well, there w- anyway. it, it was the giant spider that really threw it off. I think. Oh man, that yeah. Um, <laughs> to be continued. Exactly. Um, you know, and, and let's go and move on to the next person um, that I know was was on my list of of geeks, which is Joss Whedon. Since sure. we're 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 still in kind of the, those cultural creation, those like franchise culture creators with George Lucas, Kevin Smith, but now Joss Whedon, who of course we last night uh, saw Serenity, which I think I think that is the franchise builder, not the TV show, because the TV show came and went, and there mm-hmm. there is the original fan base much like the original Star Trek had an original fan base, but I think the real franchise creator was the movies. Because then it's really hitting the mainstream audience. And 
what what's your take on on Josh Whedon? Do you think he's a geek? That's a hard call. I know he definitely went to film school. I I, I think he came out of USC, and so film definitely his first love. Uh, it's it's hard to, it's 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 hard to say whether or not he actually is because he's just been so capable of delivering to a certain crowd. Now because he is capable of delivering to basically you know the the subculture the geek kind of populace. I really want to say he is only because you can't make that kind of movie or that kind of story without at least understanding the culture. I mean, Kevin Smith understands the geek culture. George Lucas, I don't think he was trying to make the movie that he eventually made. I think he was trying to make like a popcorn kitty flick, and it became a sci-fi geek mecca. Yeah, it, he almost stumbled across his... Uh, really? He not that he's not his... talented or not that he didn't have a vision, but I think his idea of what his vision was going to be and what other people took it and ran with, their their interpretation of what he did was different. With Joss Whedon, I mean, you can tell right from the bat he knows what he's doing and he and he delivers it. He, I think he, he has a better handle on his audience than just about any other uh, creator because I mean, totally he, he knows... The, the fans, the brown coats, that they're going to carry the ball when it comes to promoting movie. That's why you don't see too many commercials for Serenity, but it's all over online thanks to the fans, where mm-hmm. he's even given back to the fans by having an unprecedented 60-plus uh, pre-screenings of the movie, and that wasn't at film festivals. Those were literally like, hey, fans, you know, here, this is what's going on. You know, We're going to be showing this movie. If you want in, go for it. Where people were selling the tickets to these pre-screenings for two to three hundred dollars online, not to mention the fact that uh, you know what we mentioned earlier with the he invited bloggers, he invited mm-hmm. uh, you know all these people that are from the geek, the current geek culture or inter- internet geek culture that he invited all of these people to come out to to spread the word. Um, Joss Whedon has also written comic books. I see a lot of similarities between him and Kevin Smith's arguments where whether or not they're a geek because he too has written comic books, you know, a legion of fans. But I think the difference is is that Joss Whedon doesn't necessarily cater to the God. We know he doesn't cater to the fans after watching the movie. Yeah, we can't. Some, uh, I mean, we, we can't yeah. talk about it, but some of the events that happen, you know he's not catering to the fans. He has a story he has putting out. And whether you like it or not, yeah. But yeah, but he he respects his fans, and he understands where they come from. But I think that really Joss Whedon has kind of crossed. I think he's really made a uh, a crossover hit with Serenity, where I think that it's going to be brown coats and non-brown coats, uh, your geeks or non-geeks, are going to be taken with this movie. To yeah. where oh, yeah. much 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 like Star Wars was a little bit. Um, the, you know where the Star Wars was popular for a little while, and people who like Star Wars, uh, you know, you didn't have to be the geek. But I think with with Firefly, it's it's going to be because of the the romance, because of the the action. I think it's really going to be one of those, especially the writing. It's going to be one of the first, ultimately seriously cross uh, cultural ones. Uh, a lot like how Spider Man uh, did when that was released. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now let me ask you something, because I think this was brilliant of Joss Whedon. I don't even know if he did it intentionally or not, but didn't it feel to you whenever you run into somebody who knows Firefly, doesn't it feel like the French Revolution? You're with the Revolution? You too? Yeah, it 
It, it really always, does. You always feel like you've just found another like operative in the organization. Oh my gosh, it's you as well. It's like living in the Matrix. Oh, you're one of them. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think that that I think that that might be ruined a little bit. You know, but that's I think that goes back yeah. to the purist argument. Now that the movie is out and it's it's going to be more mainstream. Not not the product is going to be more mainstream, but knowledge of it and appreciation of it is going to be more mainstream. I really think that you know you're not going to have those kind of clandestine fans anymore. It's I'll going to be. I'll tell you what. Okay. You 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 either like it or you don't. But I think that right you know up until yesterday it was like oh you're a Firefly fan you know what I don't care what social steaming what race whatever. You are now a friend. You are now like yeah. a brother in arms. But I will tell you what, though. I think Firefly, the word Firefly, will become the watchword for the quote-unquote purists. And the reason I say that is mm. because if you, if you watch the movie, and this isn't giving anything away to say this, they don't really say the, the word Firefly at all. Ever. You're right. You're absolutely right. So when you say Serenity, oh, you mean the movie. Right. If you say Firefly, people are going to say, "Oh, you know the TV series." Yeah, and that's—I think—that's going to be a a very clear litmus test to say, "Okay, were you a fan the whole time, or did you just jump on with the movies?" Which there's no shame in just jumping on with the movies. Maybe you hadn't heard about it till then. Right, and but even, even the people that watch the TV show after they see the movie, they're going to remember their first impression or introduction into the universe, which was, "Hey, you know." It's it's like people, you know, when people say Star Wars, you can tell how old they are by whether they mean the original trilogy or whether they mean the prequel trilogy. Oh yeah, it, or, it's or kind how of, smart they are too. Right. It, it kind of <laughs> <laughs> it kind of means when when they came in, what generation of fan are they? You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I mean, so that I think that's definitely gonna be something that's gonna stay forever, just because people are are going to. Um, like if they go and decide to seek out the TV series, then that's sort of like trying to make contact with the purists and and go to that camp. But I I don't see I don't see ninety percent of America getting the 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 series DVD, I, especially because in a lot of ways um, the movie sort of represents the climax of the series in, in some ways. No, you're right. You're right. Unfortunately, so I mean, if you it, have the climax, you're not going to go back and watch the rest of it because you you know the climax. Yeah, and it does kind of lessen the the danger that any of the characters might be in in the TV show because <laughs> you know none of the characters are going to die in the TV show because it's yeah, like right. oh well they're in the movie. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, exactly right. Like well nothing can happen because I see them all in the trailer. So right, exactly. That that is that is kind of that. But yeah, so Joss Whedon probably a geek, yeah. definitely. Definitely uh, uh, ambassador to the geek culture of everything else. And definitely right. now, now my master instead of George Lucas. So now, right. <laughs> you have now you have not sold your soul. You have just done a balance transfer. Exactly of your soul. We've we've dealt with a lot of creators. Let's talk about a, a couple actors right now. Mm-hmm. Tom Cruise. Wow. He's I a religious. I would have said no until recent times. He's a religious geek. He is a religious geek. He, he is a frightening religious geek. You know, I, I think a lot of geeks are also, you know, card-carrying members of a certain association, whether it's geeks or, or a certain franchise with Star Wars, Star Trek, Firefly, whatever. I think that uh, once you achieve such a huge uh, affiliation with an organization like the Church of Scientology, and then you pursue it so passionately. I mean, let's mm-hmm. face it, uh, you know, we, we've described geeks as fans of things. Fans is a term that's a derivative of fanatic. 
Yes. And I think oh my that's, god. I think that kind of fits Mr. Cruz. I think it really does. No question at all about that. In fact, I'm just waiting for him to show up at like some kind of movie premiere in like an L. Ron Hubbard costume. <laughs> you know, him bumping into to John Travolta. John Travolta's like, "Hey, you're wearing the same suit that I am." Jeez, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> They're playing Scientology magic. Just like Scientology, more, The Gathering. <laughs> you've got more operating Thetan level one than I do. You I played the clear card. I played the clear card. Oh. Your body thetans are disabled. Ooh, you tried to throw a psychology. <laughs> oh, no. that's no. like the dark. That's like the dark magic that's psychology. <laughs> psychology and logical sense. Zen you smiles upon me. Extra hit power. Uh. <laughs> that's right. Logical. I just played the logical sense card. I, everyone is muted for two turns. <laughs> Dude, you have so more Thetans than I do. I'm so jealous. Oh, my God. Um. <laughs> I just got to put in the time, man. Put in the time on the dice. Jeez, but the dice only have one side. <laughs> <laughs> the dice will permit no more than one side. Oh, my goodness. Unless you're clean. Unless you're clean, then you have a hundred-sided dice. That's right. Then you can use the hundred-sided dice, but it but it's all one. <laughs> you're Thetan level 34, power leveler. Uh. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, he's definitely a geek. There's no question on that. Absolutely. All right, so now you threw this one on, and I really want to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, ben Affleck or Ben Affleck? Ben. How, what, what's your thoughts there? Well, first of all, with Ben Affleck, he when he does interviews, he talks about how he has all of the geek props. He's got every bit of technology that's come out. He knows, you know, he knows what an 802.11b is. He he's knows. got he's got an engagement ring for J Lo. I mean, all geeks have those. Oh yeah, exactly. He's just the only one that's been able to give it to her. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one set aside. I think she's a little too needy for most geeks. That's right. Um, Baby got back. Yeah, that's one thing. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, he's been in a comic book movie. He's been in movies. He's been in Kevin Smith movies that deal with comic books. You know, we've seen him as in in so many. Rather, he portray likes to portray himself as a geek, but I think it boils down to there are a lot of people in Hollywood that almost become so cool that they are elevated past the geek level. Like we were speaking with Kevin Smith, right. and I think with with Ben Affleck, we're, I'm kind of lumping in just about all actors, actresses, whatnot in this this realm because you know you can never truly know an actor. I mean, let's face it, it's their job to lie. It's your, it's their yeah. job to make you think of them something that they are not. So even in interviews, we don't know what we truly get from them is the truth. But Ben Affleck is one person who um, goes around and says a lot that he's a geek, and I just don't see it. Just because somebody, and especially right now with geeks being the, the chic thing to do, a lot of people are going out buying gadgets. iPods are one of the biggest ones. Laptops, computers. For God's sakes, a computer was the original. That was the original kingdom of the geeks. You know, yeah. where uh, at one point in time, unless you were a geek, you didn't know how to operate a damn computer. Nowadays, everybody. You know, your mama's got one. Uh, you know, your grandma's <laughs> hey, got, your a, mama's got a computer. Your mama, hey buddy, your mama's got a computer. Your mama's a geek. Uh, your mom goes to college. Um, there are, which you know, again, there, there's another geek phenomenon that's going oh around God. that that has surpassed geekdom, and and has really elevated itself in the mainstream, which is Napoleon Dynamite. But anyway, yeah. um, with Ben Affleck, he 
like we said, you know, he goes around, and, and, and there are a lot of actors that do this too. They go around saying that they're they're geeks. They'll they'll buy all the merchandise, the the computer equipment, and everything. But let's face it, what other evidence are there is there that he's a geek? Who was he? You know, who who did I he didn't try see to him at the convention? You know, you don't. Yeah, and here's the thing: there are a lot of actors and actresses that say, "Oh, well," especially after going to say Comic Con, or whatever. They'll say that, oh yeah, we're having a lot of fun here. You know, I've got this movie to promote that's got spaceships and stuff in it, or it's based on a comic book. And oh, these people at these conventions, oh, they're great, they're wonderful. Do you ever see them at a convention again afterwards? Not so no. much. <laughs> so if it was so damn great, I think they may have changed their mind. You know what? You know um, what kind of scares me about that? Because what you're you're basically saying, he's just sort of like taking the colors of the society. Whatever everybody's doing is what he's doing. Just imagine. Let's let's imagine for a second. What if the Third Reich had won World War II. Just imagine that. Now, here's an interview with Ben Affleck. Oh, yeah, I'm totally a Nazi, man. I love the Nazi thing. I was just persecuting some Jews the other day. It's fun. The people are great. It's it's a community. We can all get together and hate people together. Well, it, 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 it's kind of scary because especially in um, The Dirty Dozen, where the guys switch colors for a little while so they can infiltrate mm -hmm. the enemy camp. And I think my wording there is fairly important. Infiltrating the enemy camp, you know, mm -hmm. where that's that's kind of what it feels like. I mean, it's almost like you know, we as geeks are, are are used occasionally by the cool kids or whatever, just because they they can get something from us, which oftentimes is, is is our money. And that's kind of a a scary thing, you know, because it just geeks are the people that eventually will inherit the earth. It's not the meek, it's the geeks. Why? That's because right. we're the ones that know the technology, we're the ones that, you know, know this, know that, whatever. We're the ones that are, you know, are, are never going to be targets in any kind of a terrorist attack because we're so under the radar, nobody takes us seriously for the most part or think that we're a threat. Well, I don't know if I want to sign on to that particular. <laughs> <laughs> we are impenetrable to your forces, Al-Qaeda. We, we are, are the geeks. Yeah. Um, so there's, you know. The oh my God, that's it. That's what we should do. We should organize an attack on terrorist groups using geeks. It would be so simple. What are we gonna do? Throw dice at them? I mean, seriously. That's exactly right. You just parachute in. No, 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 fair. You don't get to use the suicide bomb. <laughs> your saving roll didn't match. My defense quadrant seven. Saving roll, saving roll. Well, you know the, right. the the new Nintendo Revolution controller does look like a pair of nunchucks. Does it? I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's basically like two remotes that you hold in your hand, and there's a cord in between them. You flip them upside down. I got some nunchucks. Wow! And if they didn't cost a billion dollars, that's what I'd use them for. Actually, some Nintendchucks, huh? Some Nintendchucks. Nintendchucks. Market that. Um, I ought to build the damn website right now. Nintendchucks.com. There you go. And that's what you do with them is you just. <laughs> Bruising people with game controllers since 1999. Yeah, geez, Louise, you hear about people in Japan that like stab other people because they're, you know, they they stole something in EverQuest. I think that that's gonna be <laughs> that's gonna be wow. dangerous when when your controller looks like a weapon. <laughs> <laughs> this is just the obvious evolution. Exactly. I think this may be a rarity on our show, but this is actually a perfect segue. We've segued directly into abuse of geekdom, which is something we were going to talk about today. Uh, now, Rich, I know you have something very specific. Uh, which which I definitely want to hear more about the abusing of geeks uh, for financial or or uh, popular gain basically. Oh yeah, well 
you know, we, we, we spoke a little bit about that with uh, Kevin Smith possibly using some geeks and stuff like that to, to further, you know, career goals, whatever, um, you know, make the uh, to make money off of his movies. But I, one that I've really, really pisses me off because there was one bastion of media that was absolutely geek oriented. That was Tech TV. Now, Tech TV, obviously, as you can tell, was the first network for technology. It was the very first television network that dealt solely with technology and uh, other geek-oriented material. Well, everything from the, the shows that taught you about technology, but they did it in a fun, cool way. Where you didn't mind, and they even had some people that you know you'd look at them on the street, you'd think, "What? That's a good-looking gal. Why would she be a geek?" But no, she could freaking own you in, you know, knowledge about anything going on in the mm-hmm. geek, uh, geek realms. Now, enter about two years ago, maybe one year ago, uh, G4. Now, G4 was a failing network that uh, was owned by Comcast, I believe, and. They dealt specifically in video games. Now, okay, well, video games, that's fairly geek-oriented. All right, you know, hey, I'll give you that much. Mm-hmm. But see, here's the thing. Once they took over uh, Tech TV, they pretty much started to destroy everything that Tech TV had built. Everything from firing some of the, the, the stand, you know, the, the people that had been there forever, um, to changing around bringing on a lot of the video game shows which again you would think geek oriented video games come on yeah but you know the way they kept presenting it where they basically had some good looking chick that was a talking head kind of loses its its impact where you know that person really has no clue what they're talking about they're reading off cue cards or a teleprompter now after a while the few remaining geek oriented shows were infused with this what we think everybody's going to want what the popular stuff is and you started to see the geek content being watered down it was, even, like the, it was the geek equivalent of processed cheese it really was I mean it was it was the margarine you know it, it, it where it, you had people that think they know how butter should taste and how it should feel and smell and everything <laughs> and they infuse it with all these chemicals and whatnot and then after a while you get something that tastes a lot like butter but it still isn't you it's can geek, tell the difference. Wheat. You know, it's it's the geek equivalent of I can't believe it's not butter. You know. Um, <laughs> now here's the thing. It wasn't so bad that they took off all of the geek-oriented commentary shows, what have you. But after a while, they've even gone to the extent of eliminating all of the geek-oriented technology-driven shows off of uh, G4 TV now, as it's called, um, to even taking the screensavers, which was arguably one of the best technology shows around, now calling it Attack of the Show, where they basically just kind of do what we had been doing beforehand, which was finding stuff online, talking about it, talking about various uh, little things, not dealing with much technology, but kind of dealing with that poser geek culture that exists yeah. now um, to even where they have somebody like Kevin Pereira, that little ferret-faced <laughs> dork. Hey, well, that's fair, guys. His mother calls him that. Who got his start by having a bulletin board based on a video game 
to where now on the show he openly rips geeks. He rips on them. They, they, it's clearly authorized by the network. But where they, they will rip on various subcultures of geekdom. Where if people like, you know, they'll rip on the fans of Red vs. Blue or Star Wars fans or this or that or the other. And you can clearly see that they're fans too. Um, you, you get some of these, these segments on the shows that are no better than when, you know, the sports jock would pick on the bully and try to take his lunch money. It Only is now the really, geeks are doing it to each other, and that's kind of sad. It it is, and the most pathetic thing about it is they're really a, a lot of a lot of people don't watch G4 TV now because of what they did to geeks. But I would say rise up and don't watch it anymore because of what they continue to do to geeks, which is, you know, they will abuse, they will market things specifically towards us, like watch this because we're going to talk about video games or the new movie or whatever but then sit there and just absolutely rip on us and belittle us. And I'm thinking, you know, wow, you are cutting off your demographic worse than if Emerald started ripping on fat people. Or, or <laughs> Lifetime movies started saying, like, you know, maybe the wife abusers are the good ones. Oh, my I, God. I see no difference people. It's It's ridiculous. <laughs> like, unless, he, he has a cooking show. Going, you suck. You disgusting pig. Eat. Eat, you know, pig. If, if you just went out there and exercised more, you wouldn't be so fat. Bam! Kick it up a notch. I mean, come on. It's, that's his demo. He, he, Let me kick your cholesterol show. up a notch. Bam! <laughs> and, oh, man. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous that people can go out there and make money off of us geeks and then rip on people. It's like, you know, I mean, it's, it's seriously like Stanley going out there and making fun of comic book nerds. It, you, you, no, you can't do that. That, that is your moneymaker. So, I and that's my point with this entire, like, I remember when we first discussed, that, that was my point from day one. When you see posters, when you see t-shirts and, and flyers and cups and cereal boxes and all these different things that are all branded, please remember, I mean, yeah, the geeks culture says, look, you're supporting the, the, the creation and it's fantastic. Yeah, that's fine. But don't forget, there's a group of amoeba in Hollywood that are called marketing people and they know you exist and all they want to do is sell you these things. So when exactly. you go out and buy all this stuff, you're not as I mean yes, obviously you're supporting the creation, but you're even more supporting the process. If you like the movie, buy the DVD and tell other people to buy the DVD. If you I, buy the poster and four different kinds of the shirt or or you know with the comic book covers where they have five different covers and you buy all the covers and you buy all this stuff, it's great that you have it. I mean, if that makes you happy, good for you. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But just remember that this is not when they when they offer you a DVD with four different kinds of covers on it, that has nothing to do with the creation. That has nothing to do with the film. That has to do with, let's see if we can convince them to buy four copies of the movie. And don't think they're not doing it intentionally. They don't accidentally come out with four covers. It's, it's okay, we're going to put out four because there are people out in this earth that have to have all four if they're there. Exactly. You know, Peter Jackson is a good example. of the, uh, not, not necessarily of this, but of how he, you know, he made the Lord of the Rings movies and he released them as they were theatrically presented. But on top of that, and that was at a fairly reasonable price, the standard DVD fare, he did have a lot of extras on that. But he didn't go around the same route that I think Robert Rodriguez is going to do with Sin City, where he releases a bare-bones DVD, mm -hmm. knowing full well that there's got to be some kind of director's content that's going to be coming out on another DVD later on, or like what George Lucas does, where he'll put out three or four different versions of a movie. The exact same freaking thing, but it's just maybe a different cover, like you were saying. I mean, that is where you are basically taking advantage of your fandom, of whether it's geeks or, or music or whatever. 
I think it's ridiculous, and I think these people need to be strung up. For crying out loud, jo uh, Joss Whedon. I know it seems like we're just trying to, you know, proselytize Joss Whedon on, on this this show. Right. But drink the Kool-Aid. Drink, drink the Kool-Aid. Where you know he was a, he was told about uh, bluesunshirts.com, which is where people made their own because there are no official Firefly T-shirts and stuff that you can purchase. Right. So they made their own, where they took some of the logos that they found throughout Firefly, uh, and they made products so that they could proudly proclaim their fandom. Right. Now, in an interview with M.E. Russell, in one of the segments, in segment seven, called Deadheads and Browncoats, the questions are, you've also done an absolutely smashing job of ignoring the massive amounts of bootleg Firefly fan merchandise. I'm thinking specifically of bluesunshirts.com. Well, I'm a deadhead, and where I come from, bootlegging's a good thing. Another question. If the movie's a hit, and more official merchandise starts coming out, do you think there's going to be a crackdown? Joss's answer is, I have no idea. I never have a piece of merchandise. I haven't reached a place in the Hollywood DNA chain where I can actually ask for it. So it's not like I'm losing money. But even if I was, you know, I'm doing fine. I have a job. I'm doing just fine. And the fact that people are making this stuff... You can call it bootlegging, or you can call it free advertising. Mm -hmm. Another question. Let's let's hope they keep calling it the latter. Joss's answer. You can also call it the fact that people are taking it to their hearts. It's no different than fan fiction or any of these online communities. It's important to them, and they wear it, and that makes me proud. And I don't give a good goddamn who's making money off of it. So you can see that Joss is somebody who is not all about the merchandising. He, he did not make something that is going to readily have, you know, a lot of action figures or video games. My God, there, there are no guns on the ship, so I don't know what they're going to do with a video game the, uh, unless you're dodging mouth stuff. Your, yeah, the defensive <laughs> mouth. He, he just has one-liners. He, he looks grim and says one-liners, you know. That's right. Um, <laughs> I am to misbehave. That's right. <laughs> I don't believe this. Dinar's a whore. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> he would so not say that. Well, there's no. He uh, said it quite a bit. But you yeah, can see I that know. there there are some people like Josh who's being really smart about it, where he's not taking advantage of fan of the fandom of the geeks. But you can see other people like I hate to say it, Kevin Smith. Oh man, horribly, yeah. so, and he'll admit it. And yeah, and he'll he'll admit it to to all of these other industries and stuff like that, like G four, that that really just just feast off of their geek fans, and that's just wrong. Yeah, I mean, that's just... If you look at uh, uh, The Phantom Menace, when the book came out, there were four different covers. I think it was four. Amidala, Darth all, Maul. All of the books had different covers. Comic all of them did. I didn't even covers. know that. Now, um, I and I hate to say it, but I'm, I'm thinking... Um, I, You know, and, and I'm, I may have to recant what I said about Joss, but I think that the, the comic from Dark Horse had four different covers. Or had different covers... But you have to ask who's doing that. Is it Dark Horse or is it Joss Whedon? Mm. See, and that's the thing. Now I understand. Look, I've done the math, and I've and I've tried to make it work on my own in the sense of making a living in the entertainment industry. It is unbelievably hard. the The fact that it actually lives and breathes is unbelievable. So I can understand them trying to make whatever money they can. But just understand, when they offer these four different covers, it's not to commemorate. It's not to celebrate. It's none of these things that they say on the cover. It's to cash in. Because, look, I, I know the people, and, I, and I, I'm certain there are many people listening who are the kind of fan that they love it so much. Well, if there's four covers, I want all four. 
Mm-hmm. That's fine. And if you want to support it, that's fine. But just understand, you're not... That that aspect is not done out of love. Nobody creates four different covers because they just love it so much they couldn't decide which one to pick. You know, that doesn't happen. It's... Yeah. We need to sell the exact same product in Ford. You know, if I came up to you and said, "Tell you point blank, I'm going to sell you a movie, but I'll give you, I'll, I'll sell it to you for for four times as much, and I'll give you four different boxes with it," you'd be like, "No, I only need the movie one time." Right. You can only watch it one at a time, you know. Yeah. But then again, you know, hey, I'm somebody who will and has purchased, uh, you know, action figures, and then. Uh, some for display in the case and some for display out of the case. Well, but uh, that's probably a derivative of that sort of idea, but I mean, the I guess it's it's just a matter of it's, it's like falsely creating badges of honor for people to have. Hmm. It's like, this is a false badge of honor you have, the, the idea of owning four different covers. All it's saying is that you spent four times as much Exactly. You know, I'm not trying to disrespect people who do that. Please understand. No. I mean, but let's look at it. All you have is four different pieces of paper with different colors on it. That's all it is. The movie's the exact same, and now the people who sold the movie are four times as rich. Mm-hmm. Now, this is horrible because after I make it into the industry, I am probably going to sell like ten different covers of everything. <laughs> but that's because I'll need the money <laughs> and because I love you all. And I want to uh, respect diversity in my covers of DVDs. I think that we can. I think that we can both agree that hey, some people out there are just flat out abusing us geeks. No question. And some people are taking advantage of us. And you know what? It's going to be your discretion that's going to say whether or not you're going to be the. You're going to be the battered comic industry. You're going to be the battered geek, or are you going to just say, you know what, buddy? I'll buy that 400 covers. Spider-Man Ultimate 72. But I'll have my I'll, own self-respect. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll buy the, the action figures of, of Mal in, in different colored shirts. <laughs> well, you know, I think we're, we're preaching the wrong. Yeah, we're kind of preaching to the <laughs> Don't be the battered wives of the entertainment industry. Exactly. You don't have to take it. You can leave. <laughs> we need to have some kind of intervention for all of us. And then, and then I can just hear like all the calls on the, on the phone. But they love us. They they'll change. They don't love you. They're only you have something they want. Quit giving it to them. Uh, after, after we come back from this break, we're gonna cover some of the geek dynasties throughout the ages. That's right. And what is the future of geekdom? This concludes the intervention. Four out of five droids agree. <laughs> Requiem of the Outcast kicks ass. Throughout the galaxy, one name is synonymous with truth. He is held as the Empire's greatest example. Among troopers, he is legend. In these times of galactic strife, his is the voice of reason and of truth. You have got to be kidding me. You've heard the Star Wars saga from the Rebel side. Now hear the truth, wisdom, and infinite fortitude from decorated war hero, Sand Trooper TD-0013. No, seriously, who wrote this sh- A Different Point of View, part of the Dragon Page Winging It podcast, available at www.dragonpage.com. 
Good morning, class. My name is Dr. Neville Johansson Steinchez. Welcome to Geek Sexuality 101. For the next semester, we shall be studying the nuances and subtleties of geek sexuality. Yes, I realize that many of you are skeptical of the entire concept of geek sexuality and view it perhaps like it was some fairy tale of olden times. But I suggest to you that geek sexuality is alive and well, and the species is in no danger of dying out, as anyone could plainly say at the recent Revenge of the Sith showing. Hmm? They seem to be breeding at prolific rates, no? Now, since this is our first class together, I thought I'd start things out slowly, as to not overload your delicate senses on your first day. I present to you a short audio clip entitled, Eugene's First Time. Now, if you'll all open your books to page 194, we'll examine something which is likely unknown to most of you, the female genitalia structure. Those of you with used books take extra precautions as the pages are likely stuck together. Michael and Evo's Dragon Page, winging it. Two dorks who aren't afraid to make fun of even bigger dorks, if given just cause, which happens every week. Subscribe to Winging It, or one of their other weekly podcasts at www.dragonpage.com. And this here's Serenity, and she's the smoothest ride. Midbook transport. Standard radiant accelerator core class code 03-K64. Firefly. You're listening to The Signal. I'm Carrie. And I'm Les. This is a podcast all about Joss Whedon's show Firefly. It started off as a TV series, and now we've got graphic novels and a movie coming out called Serenity. In this show, we're going to be looking at all aspects of Firefly. We're going to be reviewing the episodes and also the graphic novels and the movie once it's released. But we're not going to give away any movie spoilers until a few weeks after the movie's released. For instance, we would never, ever tell you that Book is really River's father. River, I am your father. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We do give spoilers for the episodes, but for those of you who haven't seen them yet. We're also going to be taking a wider view at the Firefly universe in depth, including detailed background information, the wider Firefly universe, and also the story of Firefly's creators and the world of fandom. Our main show comes out every two weeks, but we try to give you something every week, so there will be a special edition of The Signal or little surprises in the intervening weeks. So, tune into The Signal. You can find us on our website. That's www.serenityfirefly.com. You can also find us at Podcast Alley, Podcast Pickle, Podcast.net, and in the iTunes directory. We're also part of the Science Fiction Podcast Network at www.tsfpn.com. And that's all for this introduction. If you like what you heard, tune in to The Signal, www.serenityfirefly.com.
For years, sci-fi fans have toiled at making fan films, podcasts, and goofy flash animations to obscure techno music. They work hard. Give them their props. Watch, listen, and talk back. <clears throat> at planetfandom.com <laughs> If you'd like to drop us a line, visit us on the web at requiemoftheoutcast.com or visit our boards at galacticsenate.com. And now, back to the show. In our final segment of the episode is Geek Dynasties Throughout the Ages. Now, Earl, this was a segment that you wanted to talk about because there were a lot of a lot of things that... Our geek franchises can almost be defined as generations. Mm-hmm. I totally Not- agree with that. I I think that if you look at if you take a look back at 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 history, see you can't go too much f- further back than the 1930s or 40s. You because before that time, communication just wasn't strong enough to permit what we would call a national geek culture. True. You know, I mean, certainly there were pockets of things everywhere, but they weren't connected until about the 30s, 40s. Let's say 50s is when it was very strong because television got to be very strong. That brought uh, mass media into the home, and if you okay, you look at uh, uh, like for example the 1960s. I mean Star Trek. Star Trek is what Firefly is now. Star Absolutely. Trek was a series that was canceled, and it was because of the outcry from the community that a film was made. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's 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 how it went down, as I understand. Mm-hmm. That's true. I mean, and now you look at Star Trek, and it's this enormous community. It's an enormous, and it's it's survived for forty years, all on the basis of one season, or I think it was a season and a half. It was uh, three seasons. Was it three seasons? Okay, well, three seasons, all on the basis of three seasons, uh, way back in the in the sixties, mm-hmm. and now it's and now I mean you've got Trekkies, the film, you've got all this uh, uh, second generation culture and third generation culture just based off of that one three-season uh, situation. I mean, there are so many shows that have gone on longer than that and don't have the fan base that that does. Absolutely. But I feel like it does come in waves. I feel like you have a generational uh, situation there where something will happen and it'll have its day and then it goes out. You look at Star, Star Trek ruled till about the late 70s and that's when Star Wars took over. And Star mm-hmm. Wars was the hot new thing. And Star Wars took over till about the mid-80s. And I mean, I don't know, tell me what you think, Rich, but I kind of feel like that's where Star Trek had a resurgence. Well, Star Wars, you know, the, the last uh, episode of the Original. franchise, mm-hmm. uh, which is episode six, you know, Return of the Jedi, that came out in 83. Right. And yeah, once the wake of that, of course, you know, movies back then would stay in theaters for a year or more. Yeah. Uh, so let's just say 84. Okay. There really, there were a lot of B-schlock geek movies, but there really wasn't another major franchise. You know, you had maybe the Mad Maxes kind of come in there. There were movies that would kind of fill the hole. Yeah, but some it sci-fi was, it, touchstones, but not really... Nothing that was a bankable franchise like Star Wars or Star Trek. And well, isn't it in, sad that we use the phrase bankable, but you're exactly right. Well, it, it's true. Um, in 87, I believe, is when Next Generation came by, and there was a huge vacuum of sci-fi on television and whatnot. Uh, shows like uh, Battlestar Galactica, um, Knight Rider, uh, Buck Rogers, those shows had kind of come and gone and just filled, again, they, they, those were like the, the hors d'oeuvres 
but we hadn't had a good meal in a mm-hmm. while. Now, Next Generation, if you go back and you watch the first few seasons, they kind of sucked. <laughs> um, they, you know, the actors weren't into the characters that much. They didn't know where to come from. But after a little while, they really got into it, and that's when the show really picked up. Um, although, because there had been that vacuum, I think that's why everybody latched onto it. Had that, if that were to come out now, I don't know if Next Gen would have lasted as long. The what seven years, seven eight years that it yeah. did. Um, I think that, uh, of course, Star Trek kind of after DS or excuse me, DS Nine kind of surfed on the uh, on the popularity of Next Gen, mm-hmm. and that carried into the nineties. And then halfway through DS Nine, I think it really started to falter. And then from there, we ended up with Voyager and Enterprise. And by that point in time, they had that. I think that dynasty had ended a long yeah. time ago with Next Generation, just because those shows. I mean, I'm sorry if if Enterprise, DS9, Voyager, if they were so good, where were where were the ratings? You know, the the exactly. show would have continued on. It was just more expensive than it was getting in. But, of course, with that franchise, at least they had the video games and stuff to kind of carry it over, much like Star Wars is doing now. And if you really look at, if you look at that, we've really just had for a while, I mean, up until I know where we're about to get to here, but uh, for a while, what, all we've really had was since the six, since the night, imagine this, guys, since the 1960s, I mean, obviously you had your J.R. Tolkien and you had sort of the literary end there, but, but when you're talking about mainstream media culture, it's only been Star Wars and Star Trek for the last 40 years. Mm-hmm. And now we have, obviously, Firefly, and which, as, as you were saying, brings us up to today. Star Wars has... I don't think that dynasty ended so much as it committed ritual suicide. <laughs> you know, I mean, it just... It, it, <laughs> Harry Carey. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> if you were a hot dog... Um, <laughs> would you eat yourself? But... But that's really true. It's that Star Wars. I mean, I like George Lucas, and I, I think he's done well with what he's done. But, sure. but that series really did kind of run itself into the ground. The, the, it did. It, it pulled itself out a little bit with Revenge of the Sith. But let's face it. Like you and I talked about the day after the movie came out, yeah. it felt like a closing. It felt like okay, we're done now. It's, right. And what's going to carry that franchise is the video games, the books, you know, and the fandom. Everything from Star Wars fan audio to uh, fan films, fanfic, that's what's going to carry Star Wars into the future. The, the comics, um, you know, that, those only cater to certain, uh, certain s- sections in, in, in society. Right. You know, and those are not going to be able to carry a show, much like Enterprise was not carried by the Trekkers. You know, there were a lot of Star Trek fans out there that even had given up on that after a while. Um, the same thing's going to happen with comic books, books, because it's basically reta- it's their history lessons. You know nothing. You know what's going to happen mm-hmm. in the end. There is no danger to the characters. Excuse me. Ultimately, facing any kind of mortal danger. Um, I think that uh, with Firefly, you know, you you don't know. You don't know who's going to live. You don't know who's going to die. You can assume all you want to, but Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon is known for killing off characters when you when you get attached to it. Um, and really, this kind of brings about what what is the future of, of geekdom? Um, you know, every time we turn a corner, we think, well, I figured after the Matrix movies, there really was no uh, there, there was no original sci-fi themed 
concepts that could come about. Yeah. But we don't know what the, the future of technology is going to be, so we don't know what could come from that. You know, Firefly uh, blends, you know, uh, sci-fi and Western, whereas uh, Farscape, which was great, which I'm really hoping that, you know, if they could come up with a movie, that could be one of the next bankable franchises, maybe after Firefly goes, uh, you know, goes away or possibly even concurrently with it. You know, as long as they try to feed off, feed with each other instead of off each other. Um, and I guess that really begs the question. I mean, what is going to stand in? Because people need something. They they will find it if it's not there. They'll find something. What will be the new Star Wars? Or will there ever be one? Do we want know, there to be one? I I almost have to think that we will never see the next anything like that coming from Hollywood. That's a good I point. Think, I think that the internet is what's going to provide us with that. Mm. You know, there. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Red vs. Blue. You know, they've got an entire community that they've built based off of what they've done, which is, you know, amateur fan-made content. And Homestar Runner. And Homestar Runner. Good grief. No kidding. I mean, that's major pop culture. Um, there are a lot of organizations or not organizations, but there are a lot of products that are coming out online with as technology is evolving, especially via podcasting, um, since anybody can create content and distribute it, um, automatically, you know, part of communities and whatnot, to what I think is the future of podcasting, which is video podcasting, vidcasting, the, the like. Mm. Um, there are franchises of television shows. Oh my gosh, I just read an article about Pure Ownage, which is probably my favorite gamer thing that's out there um, where they get, excuse me every episode, they've, they've just released their 8th episode, but every episode their numbers have doubled they're anticipating um, a million downloads of their show they've only got 8 episodes folks and their longest episode I think is like 30 or 40 minutes, Wow! it's about a, a guy who is this absolute gamer but is an asshole to people and he just doesn't get real life. But you know what? A million views for something online that's made by amateurs. I mean, granted, you know, they may have gone to film school or something like that. They have a business model. They're making money. But let's face it. It's still not done by professionals that have got, you know, years of experience in, in, in the, the industry. So here they are. And they're making money off of this. Same with web comics. The guys from Penny Arcade. Um... You know, they're uh, Tim Buckley from Control Out the Leap. They're able to retire. Even the brothers' chaps, like you said, Homestar Runner, they're able to retire from their regular jobs and do nothing but cartoons or web comics or you know make movies online. They're able to do that thanks to uh, the fans. You know, much like the Brown Coats brought about the Firefly movie, these guys are bringing you know the bread and butter to these guys that basically sit around all day and draw or animate or do whatever for a living. So if you, I think that, you know, if you really want to know where the future is going to come from, it's going to come from online. In what shape it's going to take, I don't know. You know, after a while, our TVs may not be the main source of entertainment. It may be the computer. I mean, hell, it's worked for the pornography industry, right? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> As a proud subscriber to that philosophy. <laughs> That's right. I am all about 
Yes. So the, I'm just I'm just I'm just trying my best to completely avoid that. that. Now the best thing about if I'm correct about the future of entertainment is that Requiem of the Outcast is going to be there to cover it. That's right. That is the kind of stuff that we talk about. Now, for those of you that are new listeners, you've heard the new format. We're going to be still making some changes. This show will evolve more as we go along. If you'd like any of those segments, please feel free to email myself, Rich, at Requiem of the Outcast. Or Earl at Requiem of the Outcast.com. Exactly. You can also, you know, don't forget we've got forums set up where you can you can create your own blog over there on our forums. You can post it in any of our forums that we have at RecommendTheOutcast.com or at TheGalacticSenate.com. Just click in the uh, Star Wars Fan Audio category there. Or at TSFPN, the Sci-Fi Podcast Network.com. That's we've right. also got some boards over there. And if you will, go to RecommendTheOutcast.com. Open up your own blog, start typing, and while you're there, why not check out the Amidala monologues? <laughs> yes, speaking of which, in an upcoming episode of Recommend the Outcast, we're going to be covering uh, blogs and also the uh, in-character style blogs, which, of course, there's a wonderful one going on over at uh, RecommendTheOutcast.com, which deals with Amidala because, of course, hey, we don't forget our Star Wars roots. We don't forget our That's right. roots. Um, but we'll be covering some of the ones like the Incredible Hulk. We'll be covering some of the, the Darth Vader ones. There, there's, <laughs> there's plenty of them out there. Um, <laughs> also, uh, if you get a chance, feel free to record an audio comment. We'll play it on the show. Uh, you can do that either via your own computer or you can call the Roto Line, which is 206-333-1138. And you know what, sir? I believe that is all I have for this month's episode. And I'm spent. <laughs> want to say thank you very much for downloading or listening. Don't forget that this show is available every month at RecordToTheOutcast.com. Or, if you're lazy like I am and into podcasting, you can also download any of one of our feeds that is available uh, from RecordToTheOutcast.com. We have feeds for the show, but we've also got some feeds for some of the other projects that we have. Everything from Campfire Tales to Amazing Pulp Adventure starring Mr. Adventure to the forthcoming Moment of Serenity, which is, of course, as we have proudly proclaimed that we are Firefly fans, we're also coming out with a Firefly-specific podcast. So, sir, if they want more information uh, from you, Earl, where can they find that? Me, I can be found at RequiemTheOutcast.com, same as Rich. Also, if you guys are interested in finding very strange and unique art form, you can go to the Creative Orgasm at SouthernRonin.com and check out what we have there. We have a lot of audio things coming up, thanks to Rich's help and his uh, inspiration there. We have one coming up about Scientology, which has been long awaited and soon <laughs> yes. delivered. Which, if you get the chance, check out the uh, Wizard World Con. Oh, that's Is right, that yeah. One that you have out there? It's out there. Uh, it's it's amazing. It's kind of your uh, your search for Kevin Smith. Yes, in that we will, as the as the preview says, we search for, we hunt down Kevin Smith and we screw with Steve Sansweet's head. So there you go. Exactly. So uh, that feed is also available in our feed section at uh, the Requiem of the Outcast. I'll make sure to put that in there. Also, you can view the show notes at Requiem of the Outcast. Do you think that we've plugged Requiem of the Outcast.com enough? You know, if, if I was going to think about anything, I would think about Requiem of the Outcast.com. <laughs> you know, when I think of the future of entertainment, I think Requiem of the Outcast.com. <laughs> exactly. So, ladies and gentlemen, we hope you have a good month. If you get a chance, go out, see Serenity. You do not need to be a fan 
to enjoy the movie. But if you are a fan, you will probably need Kleenex. That's all I'm going to say. Thank you very much again for listening to RecommendOutcast.com. I hope you guys have a good one. Later, y'all. This show is part of the Out of This World Entertainment on the Sci-Fi Podcast Network, tsfpn.com.